encourage you to open your Bible, invite you that you would open your Bible tonight to the book of Nehemiah chapter 9. There is no sound more beautiful than the sound of the church opening the Bible and flipping through the pages of the book. <laughs> we like taking notes, we've titled tonight's message, Responding in Repentance. Responding in Repentance. We see here in the ninth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, that the people of the book have responded. The people of the book have responded and they're pouring out their soul here in chapter 9 in dependence of the Lord. In the book of Nehemiah, we see that up until this point now, Nehemiah has rebuilt the walls. He's come to Jerusalem with a broken heart, rebuilding that which was torn down due to disobedience and due to compromise. And after the walls that were rebuilt, Nehemiah introduces Ezra to come as a priest to teach the Word of God and to give the people an understanding of the Word of God. He makes the Word of God able to apply in the lives of those that hear. We know that the Word of God is the foundation of our prayer life. It's the foundation of our worship. It is the foundation of our obedience. So now having the people heard the word of God from an understanding of God's word, they receive new priorities. I want to ask you where your priorities are at even tonight. Maybe we have to realign some priorities. Maybe there are priorities that are misguided or not in the right place. But after taking a good look and understanding and hearing the word of God, the people here come to pray not only, but also to have a self-examination of people that had turned their back on the Lord, of people that were walking in disobedience that had backslid. Did you know that it's been said before, even Charles Spurgeon said it best when he said, backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and end with filthy garments. <laughs> backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and then with filthy garments. How does your Bible look tonight? Are you opening the pages of your Bible to hear from the Word of God? In fact, they hear from the Word of God. And something happens, interestingly enough, in the end of chapter 8, that they receive a conviction from the Word of God. But it's not only a conviction that they receive from the Word of God. Notice, it's a conviction that leads to confession. It's a conviction that leads to repentance. Because revival in our lives or true revivals in our personal life, it not only means confession. We are good at confessing oftentimes. But revival doesn't end at confession. Revival begins at confession and it continues with daily repentance. Now the people who are truly fit to see revival, notice this, are the people of the book that are found in chapter 9 of Nehemiah who recognize the coldness of the heart, who recognize a need for spiritual awakening. I love what has been said before, that God only plants the seed of revival in the soil of the heart that has been broken up by repentance. God only plants the seed of revival in the soil of the heart that has been broken up by repentance. That is the true Calvary Road, repentance. A repentance that has a desire to come to the Lord in his word. A repentance that has a desire to come to the Lord in prayer now. And we have to listen to the word of God. Listen to the word of God and notice this, not add or take away from what God is telling you. There are often times that we hear and receive the message, but we want to add or take away from that which God is speaking to us. But tonight, we want to hear and have ears to hear that not only take us to confession, that we are to confess at the foot of the cross, but they would take us to repentance when we carry the cross. You see, you confess when you come to it, but you repent when you start to carry it. And you see that there's no pride in them. There's humiliation over their past pride. There's humiliation over their past sin and over their past even prayerlessness. 
So we're going to study this chapter 9, which is the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. This is a chapter that is filled with only prayer, but it's a prayer that is calling us to action. It's a renewal now in repentance that restores the people back to a spiritual state that is right with God. And we see here several things now. We see four things in upward praise in their prayer. You see them looking at backward promises in their prayer. You also see as they pray an inward petition or repentance in this chapter or prayer, but a forward pursuit of a change of mind. It's not simply knowing that we have Miss the mark, it's about changing so that we can aim and pursue to the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And the church tonight, the church today, us right now can learn a lot from the experiences of the nation of Israel that we're going to get and receive if we're willing to humble ourselves and receive the truth. But there's the key, are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to humble yourself and receive the truth from the word of God? Are you willing to repent? Did you know that repent is not an act of one day? Repentance is the process of a lifetime. Repentance is not an act of a single day. Repentance is the process of a lifetime when you as a disciple carry the cross. So we're going to look at three major things in this chapter. Number one, the greatness of God the goodness of God, and the grace of God. If you like taking notes, I encourage you to write that down as a student of God's word, the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the grace of God. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1, says this, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fastings and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israel lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you tonight. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us as the people of the book. Lord, that not only we would come in confession to the cross, but we would continue in repentance as we carry the cross. Lord, if there are any of us, Lord, that are backslidden, living in rebellion, in disobedience, Lord, remind us, Lord, of your greatness tonight. Remind us, Lord, of your goodness. And Lord, draw us with your grace. We ask this all, Lord, in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. So it says, now on the 24th day of, the, of this month, the children of Israel were assembled, or they gathered. Notice why they gathered. They gathered with fasting, sackcloth, and with dust on their head. They had heard the message. They heard the Word of God being read to them, but they assembled with one purpose, and they assembled now now with one vision in mind, and it was to fast. (laughs) How many times have we spent time fasting? Because here the fasting, what really fasting is, is to deny yourself wholly so that you can seek the Lord fully, (laughs) and that you understand that you're dedicating yourself, denying the flesh, because you're hungry for God. (laughs) You're more hungry for God than hungry for anything else. (laughs) And not only were they fasting, notice what happens here because an attitude takes place, fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their head. They went from feasting (laughs) to fasting now. Why? Because the word of God brought conviction to the people and they began to confess their sins. But it says here that they were with sackcloth or they were in a mourning This was an outward demonstration, notice this, of a deep mourning and a heaviness of a heart that they would now have be clothed in in the sackcloth or with dust on their head. This is symbolic outwardly of an inward heaviness of heart now, of an anguish. You know, oftentimes we want to become angry, but what we really need is not anger, we need anguish. (laughs) 
You know, the difference between anger and anguish is a broken heart. Oftentimes, it's easy to become angry, especially at someone else's sin. But it's not easy to look at sin, especially ours included, and weep over it. That the Lord would give us tears for our sins. And they come here with a desire to hear from the Lord denying the flesh because they want to receive from God. And this was the beginning, notice, of a new life for them and for their city. The beginning of a new life for them and their city. So they come in fasting, but notice what takes place. In verse 2 it says, Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners. They took action. They were fasting, but also notice, a separation took place from all the foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. What do they do? Not only are we going to fast, we're going to separate ourselves. <laughs> because we understand there's a problem. And we're going to come to fast. We're going to come to receive the word. We're going to come to confess. But notice this. They came to separate themselves from all the foreigners, from all unlawful relationships or marriages, or they purify themselves from being a mixed multitude. From being corrupted with relationships that they knew as the people of God that they ought not to be entangled with. And it says in verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one-fourth of the day, and for another-fourth they confessed and worshipped their God. What happens here? This is an attitude. These are desires. This is now a practice that we as a church should exercise. And it says that they came, number one, with fasting. Notice that. To receive the word, number two. With confession, number three. But finally, also with worship. And it said with one-fourth of the day, they started to worship. Another fourth of the day, they were reading the book of the law. And then another fourth, they were praising the Lord. They were taking the time now to be holy. They were separating themselves from sin to become holy and confessing. Why is confession important? So that we can now live the process of sanctification. To become more holy. Oftentimes we come and we think that we are too sinful. Or we believe that the guilt in our life is so strong that we don't confess the sin. You know that the only sin God will not forgive is the sin that you won't confess. We need to come to the Lord in confession. But not only that, notice that they separated themselves. The separation is important because separation is simply total devotion to the Lord, no matter what the cost is. We're going to separate ourselves from the world so we can be separated for God. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were separating themselves from the world or from sin to be separated unto God. Notice separation without devotion to the Lord becomes isolation. <laughs> But devotion without separation is simply hypocrisy. It's not only enough to be separated, but we also have to be devoted. Because then you become isolated. There are so many people in the world that become isolated. Lone rangers as Christians. We ought to separate ourselves from sin and then also pursue a total commitment of devotion to the Lord. And notice what happens at the end of verse 3, because as they fasted, they confessed now, they stood up in their place, and notice what's happening here. They were reading from the book of the law. They had a desire for the word of God. And because of that, it ended with worship in verse 3, and they worshiped the Lord their God. I love that it breaks it down, that in one-fourth of the day, they broke up for each and every one of those things. Why? Because they were not in a rush. And when true conviction takes place in your life, you understand one thing, that you spend time with the Lord and you're not in a rush. Because you want to know the word. And you know how it ends? It ends with worship. <laughs> it's, the, it's the worship that is involved from the word of God for, because the word of God reveals now the God that we worship. And the better that we know the scriptures and respond to them, the better that we will know God and be like him. <laughs> So they're understanding here through the word of God, the Lord, and they're worshiping. And notice in verse 4, they're crying out to God. <laughs> this is what it's required of us even tonight. Then Jeshua, Bani, 
Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bani, Sherebiah, and Bani, and Shenanai stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. <laughs> you see what the conviction and the worship took place, what it led them to, to stand and to cry out to God. They're crying out to God because the Holy Spirit was working in their lives. They're crying out to God because the Holy Spirit was ministering to them. And it said with a loud voice. And notice what happens here in this verse. Because they stand up. They give a command to stand up so that they can hear and bless the Lord. They start with worship. It's an upward praise that they understand. Through the word of God, what are they to do? God is worthy of our worship. And it tells us here in verse 5, it says, In the Levites, Jeshua, Kadamiah, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hajiah, Shebaniah, and Pethiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. They had a reverence. They had a respect. He commanded them, Stand up and let's praise God forever and ever because he's worthy. And these are the lyrics that they're singing. It says, Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are exalted above everything, Lord. You are the creator you alone are God. You are in control. You are in command. You are in charge. Verse 6 tells us this. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heaven and the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You see how they encourage themselves now? They encourage themselves in the creation and in the greatness of the Lord. They're celebrating the greatness of God. You alone are the Lord. You alone are God. You've made everything God. The stars you have commanded him, you are in control. This is a sincere worship that honors God now in spite of their circumstances, in spite of their feelings, or in spite of their desires now. And as they begin to worship God because he's the creator, they look back now at the history of the nation of Israel and how God has been faithful to them. Oftentimes we need to look back at how God has been faithful to us so that we can continue to walk in holiness. Look back tonight at the faithfulness of God in your life, the history of God's faithfulness, because he's going to look back at Abraham's life. And from Abraham's life, he's going to see, Lord, even back then you were faithful with us as a nation. In verse 7, it says this, as we continue, you are the Lord God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. Lord, you saw Abraham. We look back at your faithfulness. You chose him and you found his heart faithful. Verse 8 says, you found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites and the Girgashites, to give it to the descendants, you have performed your word, for you are righteous. God, you are righteous. God, what you promise, that you perform, you are the God of promises. You see, when you go in repentance, when you go to the Lord in repentance and in confession, you start to remember the faithfulness of God, and you know that he is the God of promises. The God who keeps his promises. You chose Abraham, he's saying. Lord, you, you, you found his heart faithful. You promised them to give him the land of the Canaanites to drive out those that were there. And you're always true to your word. You keep your promises. Now, when you're discouraged, when you're in doubt, when you're in a trial, remember that God has never failed you. He keeps his promises. That which he has promised, he will perform. In fact, he goes on in verse 9, it says, you saw the affliction now. He's going to go from the life of Abraham now. And he gives us a history and a narrative from Abraham now to the Exodus and to Moses. We see that you are the God of promises, but we also see that you are the God of power. So we've seen the God of promises in the nation of Israel. We've seen the God of promises in our lives. We also see the God of power in which he provides to us deliverance. And let's look here now in verse 9. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry by the Red Sea. You delivered them in Egypt at the Red Sea. You saw our distress, God. You saw our misery 
and you answered us in our time of trouble. Not only did you do that, Lord, but you protected us. Verse 10, you showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and against his servants and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them, so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. Not only is he the God of promise, but he's the God of power that he now protected the people in now Egypt from the pride of Pharaoh. Lord, you protected us from the pride of Pharaoh now, and you made a name for yourself. You gave yourself a righteous reputation through the work that you did for us and through us. Think about the reputation that God has had in our lives when it comes to faithfulness. (laughs) Because here, now, the Jewish people are looking back at how God has always been faithful and always delivered them. Notice this, not only was he the God of power, but in, in that power, in those promises, he always provided a way. He always led the way. And it speaks of this in the next verse, verse 11. And you divided the sea before them. You provided a way. So that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. Lord, you made a way where there was no way. You are the way maker. (laughs) Where we thought that there was no way, where we were desperate, when we didn't have any hope, Lord, you made a way. You led us now and provided for us a way. In fact, it says, and their persecutors you threw into the deep sea as a stone into the mighty waters. When Pharaoh and his chariots were chasing now the nation of Israel. And it continues, it says, Moreover, you led them in the wilderness. God, you provided a way out of Egypt. But as you provided a way out of Egypt in the wilderness season, notice this church, in the wilderness season, he is our guide. There are often times that we're in the wilderness season and we don't feel like God is around. But he's always provided a way. For the nation of Israel, look what it was. By day with a cloud of pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them the light on the road which they should travel. Lord, you showed us the way we should go. You gave us light on the road so that we can be led by your presence. The nation of Israel knew what it was like to be led by the presence of God. They were spirit-led. The New Living Translation reads this verse, and you led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. Hasn't God been faithful to us that we can find our way even in the wilderness seasons? We were never alone. He always provided a way. You gave us light on the road. In fact, in verse 13, it says, you came down also on Mount Sinai. Do you remember when the Lord hovered his presence over the mountain? And Moses was there to receive the Ten Commandments. He said, Lord, you spoke to your people through your servant Moses, and you gave us your word. Verse 13, it says, You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them the just ordinance and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Lord, you spoke to your people from your presence on the mountain, and you gave us your ordinances, but you always gave us your instructions and your word. You made it known to us. In fact, verse 14, you have made known to us or to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them the precepts, the statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, they're saying. Because as we worship you, because you are a creator, we look back at your faithfulness and that you always provided, you were our deliverer, but even on the mountain through your presence, Lord, You gave us your word through your servant Moses, and you have made it known to us. I want you to look at that word where it says you made it known to them. God is so ready to make it known to you, his word of confirmation, his word of affirmation, his word of correction. Because God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of confirmation. But you know where you receive that confirmation, where you receive that word? In his presence. If you look back at the nation of Israel, where was it that they received the word of the Lord? Where was it that they received the words of instruction in the presence there, where the presence of God was hovering over the mountain? And not only did God give them the deliverance from Egypt, not only did God provide a way during the day and the night, not only did the Lord also give them instruction, but notice, he also provided for them and their daily needs. (laughs) 
It's important that we see the faithfulness of God so that we can move forward. And it tells us in verse 15 that he is the God of provision, the God of promise, the God of protection, the God of power, and the God of provision. In verse 15, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. Lord, you've given them and our ancestors, our heritage, bread from heaven on their journey. You even gave them water from the rock when they were thirsty. You were the water of life for them in the wilderness. You provided for them before they went in, before you would take them into the land that they were to possess and the favor that you had given them. Notice how it says in verse 15, the land that you told them to go in. You know, when God calls you to go in somewhere or to step out, before you can step into what he wants you to step into, you have to step out where God has called you. And as they stepped out, God provided for them. Oftentimes we are thinking, Lord, if I step out, how is it that I'm going to see you provide? But as they stepped out and the Lord made a way, the Lord provided for them every day their daily needs in the wilderness season. But in spite of all of God's faithfulness in their lives, in spite of all of God's faithfulness in our lives today, this is how they responded. They responded in rebellion. You know, the, the definition of rebellion is willful disobedience. It's when in your heart you say, I just don't care. It's a willful disobedience. And rebellion, really, it's always motivated by pride. It's an unwillingness or it's an act of the will now. In verse 16, it says this, But they and our fathers acted proudly. It was their pride that led them to rebellion. You know what pride does? It makes your heart hard against what God is saying. And you start to refuse the plan of God. You, you no longer want to accept it. You refuse it. And you begin to rebel. And as you rebel, your heart's becoming hard. No longer are you able to receive what God wants to say to you. It tells us this in verse 16, And they hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. In spite of all of your faithfulness, our fathers, because of their pride, because of their impatience in the wilderness, notice that, they became stubborn, hardened-necked, or presumptuously stiffed in their necks, and they were not mindful now. They disregarded your commandments. You know what it's like to be stiff-necked? Is that God wants to lead you one way, but you're saying, no, I want this other way. Well, you have refused to go the way of the Lord. Or we refuse to obey the Lord. In fact, they refused to obey, and they forgot what the Lord had commanded them. They forgot what the Lord had done for them. The moment that we forget what the Lord has done for us is the moment that we no longer have a desire to obey and we see that, notice even in verse 17, they refused to obey. See, it wasn't that they didn't know what God wanted for them, it's just that they didn't want to do it. <laughs> Oftentimes the problem is not that we do not know what God wants us to do, is that we refuse to do that which he has called us to be a part of. And it says they refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders, they forgot what you had done for them that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. <laughs> what did they do as they were waiting in the wilderness, and Moses went up for 40 days to hear from the Lord? They said, Aaron, where's Moses, this leader that brought us out? We Give us a God and an, that we can worship him right now. And they build a golden calf. But what's taking place here that in the rebellion, you know what they did? They did? They even oftentimes said, you know what, let's just go back to Egypt. And they appointed leaders for themselves. Why? Because in their hearts, they were still living in Egypt. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that oftentimes, that when God takes us out of bondage, in our hearts, we still are living in Egypt. With our mouth, we profess something, but in our hearts, we have a different desire. We oftentimes look at the story of the nation of Israel and we say, how can they possibly turn their backs on the Lord in spite of his faithfulness and everything he did for them 
But that's what we do every day. Because it looks like this in, in the next part of verse 17. It says, but you are God ready to pardon. This is God's nature. This is God's character. But you are God, even in spite of their disobedience, you were ready to forgive. This is amazing, the grace of God. In spite of all of this, you were ready to forgive. You are ready to pardon. Gracious and merciful. In fact, you are slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you did not forsake them. That's the story of our lives tonight. Lord, we turned our back on you in spite of everything you did for us, but you never abandoned us. You didn't forsake us. Even when we turned our back on you. Verse 18, it says, even when they made a molded molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocations when we provoked the Lord to anger. He still remained faithful. When we made idols for ourselves and we spoke blasphemies and provoked him now in our rebellion, the Lord remained faithful. It tells us this in verse 19, yet in your manifold mercies, yet Lord, in the greatness of your mercy, in the greatness of your forgiveness, you did not abandon us in the wilderness. Can you look back at times in your life where Maybe we were unfaithful to the Lord, but he still remained faithful because he could not deny himself. That's his character. And this is exactly what they're praying in their prayer. Lord, we thank you. We're worshiping you as we look back and we see that you've always been with us. In fact, it says here, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them out on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them the light. Lord, you never stop leading the way. You always gave him the pillar of cloud. And it tells us this in verse 20, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. This is the grace of the Lord on the nation of Israel. God gave them direction through his spirit. God's spirit came to instruct and to counsel. He never stopped providing for them. He didn't withhold from them. And in 40 years, notice verse 21, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lack nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. This is a verse that we highlight. This is a verse that we remember. But Lord, in those 40 years in the wilderness, you know what happens in the wilderness? You understand the faithfulness of God. And oftentimes, God takes you through the wilderness so that you can understand how he provides. Oftentimes, God takes you through the wilderness so you can understand his power. So that we can understand his protection. And he said, Lord, in the wilderness for 40 years, notice what happens here. You sustained them. You held them. You supported them. The Lord has sustained us in every wilderness year. You care for every one of their needs. In fact, it says for 40 years, They lacked nothing. The word lack nothing is the same word that the psalmist used in Psalms 23 where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does it mean? They lack nothing or I shall not want. I have everything I need. (laughs) And Lord, for 40 years, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our stubbornness, we had everything that we needed. Isn't that amazing that we start, when we start to think about that, Lord, thank you. That all these years, in spite of who we are, you kept your promises and you were fulfilling your purposes. Because it was a part of your plan. And the Lord was so faithful to the people. He was faithful to provide for them in their obedience. And God is also faithful to chasten us in our disobedience. And it's both a part of his faithfulness. Did you know that when you understand who the Lord is, his discipline is his faithfulness? Just as much as his blessing in your life is his faithfulness. And here it tells us now that they saw even future victories in verse 22, after they lacked nothing. It says, moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sion and the land of the king of Heshbon and the land of Og, the king of Basham. You also multiply them. Notice verse 23, those children as the stars of the heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in to possess. You multiply them, 
You gave them the land. They went in. You led them into battle and you defeated their enemies. Now it's going to tell us, and they possessed the land of the Canaanites so that they would enjoy the promises and be satisfied in the goodness of God. It says, verse 24, so the people went in and possessed the land you subdued before them as you led them in the battle, the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich, and, and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug in vineyards and olive groves and the fruit trees in abundance and they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Do you see here now how they're remembering how God gave them victory in the promised land? Not only were they satisfied, but they were delighting in the blessings of God and in the goodness of God. And here again, we see another pattern in verse 26, but they still disobeyed. <laughs> Notice the disobedience that takes place in verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself and they worked great provocations. Every prophet that you sent to them, they rejected. They provoked you to anger as they were stubborn and in their sin now so you deliver them to their enemies now. Verse 27 says this, Therefore you deliver them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them, and in, and in their time of trouble, when they cried out, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Do you remember in the nation of Israel when they were disobedient, they, the Lord sent them prophets, and they still disobeyed, so they were giving over to their enemies. And then the Lord sent them now deliverers or judges that would deliver them in their time of trouble. God was always faithful to the nation of Israel, and they're remembering that right now. Lord, in spite of our sin, you remained faithful. And after the Lord sent those judges, notice what they had. They had deliverance, and they were able to rest, but then they went back into bondage. <laughs> Why? Because of disobedience. Disobedience, you know what it opens the door to? Bondage. And God has not called you and I to live under bondage. Every time we are disobeying, you know what we're saying? We're living for our old master, the flesh. But God has set us free from that old master so that we would live by the Spirit. And this happens here in verse 28. It says, but after they had rest or when everything was good, notice what happened. They started to compromise. <laughs> How many times in our own life when everything is going good, we don't cry out to the Lord. But then when things go bad and the marriage is bad, the family is bad, the children are not following the Lord, we start to cry out to the Lord. And, and then the Lord blesses and answers our prayer. And then we get comfortable. We begin to compromise. And then we, it leads to backslidden. And this is the narrative, the story that he's talking about. The people that backslid and they went back into bondage times and times again. Verse 28, but after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies, so they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Lord, you were so faithful. According to your mercies, you continued to deliver them every single time. Every single time that they cried out to you, regardless of how they were, regardless of their pride, you still remained faithful. Verse 29, and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law, yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders. This means they didn't even care about disobeying because they were living in pride. They didn't pay attention now and they sinned now carelessly and willfully. They refused to listen and they stiffened their necks and would not hear. You know what happens when we allow pride in our heart? We become very careless. <laughs> and then we willfully entertain temptation. So what happens here that they would walk in God's ways for a little time, and then they would relapse back into sin, and the cycle would be repeated over and over and over. 
You see, there's not real a change when we just confess we must truly repent. What does repentance mean? It's, it's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It means that one day I was going one way and I stopped. I did an about face and now I have changed my mind about the direction that I want to live my life and that is to the Lord now. Verse 30 in Nehemiah 9 tells us this, yet for many years you had patience with them. Isn't it awesome that even in our pride, God has patience with us? Even in our stubbornness, even in the hardness of our heart, even when we are stiff-necked, God is patient with us. And he provides room for his grace always. You know what the Lord did when they were proudful? He provided a warning through the prophets, through messengers, that he sent by his spirit. It says, you were patient with them and you testified against them or you gave them warnings. By your spirit in your prophets, you by your spirit send prophets to give them warning, yet they would not listen. You see, here is the problem oftentimes that the Lord is speaking to us, but we're refusing to listen. That the Lord wants to do something, but we want to get in the way. That the Lord is wanting to guide us somewhere, but we're refusing to listen. When the Lord is speaking, we have to have ears to hear and then to also ready to obey and they refused to listen. Why? Because they wanted their own plan. What happened to the nation of Israel in the wilderness? What happened in their disobedience? That, that even when they got to the promised land, you know what took place? That they became comfortable. And the comfort, comfort that they had led them to compromise. And that's exactly every little moment of compromise led them to be backslidden. And it tells us this even, yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, notice this, because of God's great mercy, he never abandoned them. You did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. You didn't destroy them. Lord, you were patient, and your grace was always with us. This is God's faithfulness, despite of human failure. Do you see that God's grace, even in our lives, that Times and many times over again, we failed the Lord. But he never failed us, and he continued to display his grace on us. And here, they're giving a contrast, and they're using the nation of Israel's dark disobedience and background of their unfaithfulness to shine the bright light of God's faithfulness, that he was faithful to bless them in spite now of their disobedience. You see, we have to realize, even when we get even to this portion in verse 31, that his purposes, God's purposes in our lives are more important than your personal pleasures. When you think about your pleasure instead of his purpose, you know what takes place? Rebellion. Are you concerned more today about your pleasure or about his purpose? Because you, when you want his purpose, notice what he can do in your life. He can accomplish his plan. And he will accomplish his plan even if he has to chasten us, even if he has to discipline us. This is why we hear we have a realistic view of the past that can provide for us the best perspective of, of where we are right now, of what God has done, and ensure that we're pursuing now the place where he wants us to go. So here in verse 32 to verse 38, he's gonna, now they're going to pray about the grace of God, and there's an inward repentance. Now, with all of that said, thinking about God's faithfulness, now notice what happens here in verse 32 is that there's an inward repentance. There's an examination now. And they say, thank you, Lord, because you keep your promises. Lord, don't look at it, our disobedience as if it's a small thing or our trials as they're a small thing or our suffering as a nation, our hardships as it's a small thing or insignificant to you. Lord, continue to be with us. Verse 32, it says, Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy, God who keeps his promises, God who is always forgiving, and God whom we trust now, do not let the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and all on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. Lord, Look at us. Look at what these people have gone through. Yes, we've been unfaithful to you, and you have been faithful to us. Lord, continue to be with us. 
In verse 33, it says, However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Do you see how they're being honest? This is when we really know that we're ready for revival. We're honest about the spiritual state of where we are right now. We will never meet or see revival in our lives until we become honest about the spiritual state that we're currently in. And here he's saying, they're saying, Lord, we know that we've turned our back on you. And it says, neither our kings, nor our princes, or priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, which you testified against them. We have been disobedient from the leadership all the way down, in spite of how faithful you have been. For they have not, notice verse 35, served you in their, in their kingdom or in many in the many good things that you have gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Lord, we never really turned. We confess, but we never turned. Lord, we, we pray and we confess and maybe we even cry out, but we never turn. You see, t- tonight what we need to do is to turn. To turn now to where God is calling us, to turn to repentance. To turn back to the Lord. So here they say in verse 36 to verse 38, you see a genuine repentance because their forward pursuit is the Lord now. You know what they're pursuing now here in these three verses? They're pursuing one thing, holiness. Are you pursuing holiness tonight? Because notice verse 36 says, here we are servants today and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, your servants in it. Lord, here we are, God. We've made it to the place that you've called us to be. Lord, we're in this place. Notice here in verse 37, and it yields much fruit and increase to the kings that you set over us because of our sins. And they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle and their pleasure, and we are in great distress. Notice what he's saying. We are in great misery. We're in great distress because of the bondage that we're currently in. They were in bondage, notice, for 70 years. The Babylonian bondage that led to the Persian bondage. And the people now are coming back to Jerusalem, but they come back and they're ready for a spiritual revival that needed to take place. It wasn't just about rebuilding the walls. It was about what was going to take place inside the walls, inside the hearts of the people that were in living in the city. I said, and they said, Lord, here we are. We're being oppressed by the kings. They were intended to be servants of God, but notice what happens. They became servants of men because of compromise. But in verse 38, they make a covenant or they make a commitment. And because of all of this, notice, and because of all of this, they say, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests, and seal it. <laughs> Not only are we going to talk about it, we're going to promise that from this day forward, we promise to come back to these things of the house of God, and we promise a new commitment and a new loyalty to the house of God, a new loyalty to obedience. And in chapter 10, we're going to look at that next week, that we see in the promises that they made now to commit and continue to live a renewal of obedience. As the worship team comes out right now, we're looking at the text in chapter 9, and we see that at the end of chapter 9, they make a renewal of obedience. And they come to a place, notice in verse 38, a place of decision. It wasn't a place where they looked at their sin and confessed. It was a place where they looked at their sin, and they're willing to make a decision. That's what repentance is about. It's about a decision. And God's work in our life has to come to a place of decision, a place where he wants to make us stand for him and against everything else and against all other things. That's the most beautiful place that we can be in as believers, a place of decision, a place where we say, Lord, no longer am I going to do this. And notice what they do. They start to seal and to write these commitments. Lord, we promise, Lord, that we're going to keep the Sabbath holy. Lord, we make a commitment that we're going to give the first and the best to you. Lord, we make this commitment that we're going to come and that we're going to worship you and we're going to take care of the needs that are taking place in your hearts and in your house. And they're putting it in writing now because they're serious, they're becoming serious about God. You know what happens here in chapter 10? That God becomes first and everything else becomes second. <laughs> God becomes first and everything 
else becomes second. And you know what they have to do? They have to document their priorities here. They set new objectives. They set these new values now, and they document so that they can live by it. It's been said before that the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Of new beginnings. Where we continue to come to the Lord for His grace. Where we continue to come to the Lord for forgiveness. We continue to come to the Lord in submission of His grace and of His mercy. And this is exactly where they're coming to a place of a new beginning, a place of renewal. And maybe tonight we have to come to that place ourselves where you say, Lord, not only do I want to confess, what I really need in my life is repentance. Why? Because repentance is not simply, it is not only something you do the day that you gave your life to the Lord. Repentance is something that you do when you carry the cross for the process and the duration of a lifetime. You know what repentance does? It glorifies God. Because it's the moment that you're making things right with him again. This prayer is so awesome in chapter 9 because the people are willing to make things right with God. They're refusing to accept sin, refusing to accept sin, and they're willing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, we need change. They understand that they need change. And maybe tonight you understand that you need change. You know, I need change in my life. Lord, you've been faithful and I continue to turn my back on you. Lord, I've been faithful. You, you were a way maker for me. You were faithful to me. You provided, you protected when I needed something. But I'm lacking one thing. I'm lacking repentance in my life. And you know what happens when, when we repent? We start to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to fill our lives when we repent to the Lord. The Holy Spirit will not fill a life that is unrepented. So ask yourself, even tonight, is there any areas in my life that are unrepented, that are unconfessed? Any unconfessed area of my life, any place where I have not fully given it to the Lord, because tonight that's what we're going to do. And maybe you're here right now and you say, well, I need to repent, I need to confess. I need to come to the Lord closer because I don't want no, no sin to stand in the way between the fellowship that I have with the Lord. That I, I want you to just raise your hand right where you are because we're going to pray right now. Amen. I see your hand.